Hey, it's Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice, and you're about to listen to an audio version of an interview I've done on my streamcast on Twitch. Now, if you'd like to see the video along with it, you can find it in the links below, or you can just go to my YouTube channel, Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, that's David Sobolov right there. Uh, I, I just like to hit the ground running is what I like to do. But sure. um, first of all, I love the background. It's busy. You got a lot going on. Yeah, well, I like I, that. I, this, I have my pride and joy here, my, my 1940s uh, NBC microphone. Oh, nice. I love. Yeah, my uh, my mom used to sing into a, a mic like that. She was a singer, a swing singer in the 40s. Really? And I sang into that microphone in the 80s with my uh, voice teacher in New York City. And when his partner was dying, it just showed up at my door. Really? Yeah. Now, how does it sound if you use it today? Is the uh, it, filament old? Is there some degradation? It's a lot of degradation because he didn't know how to mail things and he destroyed it when he mailed it to me. So it looks good. <laughs> I guess, you know what? I guess probably for a, a really pretty penny, you could maybe have it repaired. But that, that filament is really delicate. It's paper mache. You know? I attempted to have it uh, repaired a few years ago, and cosmetically and electronically, but they could only yeah. handle the cosmetic part. Yeah. So That's I. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I still have, like, I have had exactly two microphones that I have used consistently since 2003, I think, 2004. Mm -hmm. And it's the exact same mic. It's the KSM Shure, or Shure KSM 32 condenser. And I had one for about nine years, and my son accidentally knocked it over. And mm -hmm. all I did was pick it back up, put it, put it back uh, in its place, and the filament was already shot and you just couldn't use it anymore so i bought another one exactly like it mm -hmm. and um and that's it i just keep using it and it's all i need works I for just, me with a new microphone today this morning what'd you get uh, well i have i bought a neumann about a u87 uh -huh. standard that everybody has in studios uh i had a knockoff u87 a stam audio from south america right and it developed a buzz after about six months oh really <laughs> And when you're in COVID and they want you to work from home and they hear a buzz, they don't cast you. <laughs> no. So I had to go spend the money. Yeah. How much does that, that uh, U87 run? I got it at Sweetwater. It was $3,500. Okay. That is, that not, is not cheap. No, it isn't. Now, what is the... Because that's not a condenser. That's a, is, is that a directional or is that a shotgun? It's not a shotgun. Um, no. I thought condenser i don't know is it okay no it might be a condenser then i might be thinking of another one what is it about that yeah i mean what is it about that neumann that that everybody loves i mean obviously the the ksm i've got is only about a 600 hundred mm dollar -hmm. mic and it isn't always about price but if you're dropping 3500 mm -hmm. on a neumann and every studio has a neumann then it's the quality you want well, it seems to match my voice really well. It's great for deeper voices. Uh -huh. uh, it doesn't enhance at all. It just really uh, provides a really true representation of what I sound like. Okay. So I'm able to do my full dynamic range and it picks it up. Okay. Well, that's good. Because, that's yeah. Yeah. In your case, you've got, like, right now, if people hear my voice and compare it to the other interviews I've done, they're going to think, well, he's a little higher pitched. Well, a lot of this is because it's 7 p.m. And my voice over the course of a day goes up in pitch. I, I gain an octave by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that is. It just is. If you catch me in the morning, 
I'm I'm more textured and I'm lower. I don't know if there's much of a change with mine unless I'm screaming all day. Yeah. Well, that happens at times. Yeah. Now, these days, are you doing more of, um, like, for you, I know that you've done a lot of animation and video games. You have this, you have this heavy voice, and it's perfect for a lot of bad guys, creatures, villains, things like that, but... Have you discovered with COVID any new jobs coming your way, any new opportunities for whatever reason, or, or is it shifting or is it always this sort of up and down dynamic you can never predict? Well, what's shifting is that I'm really doing other things now. You know, I'm still doing voice acting, but I, I wrote a pilot. Oh, really? Uh, with a, a co-writer and we're um, getting it together to pitch starting in January. Nice. Animated pilot. So that's been fun. I had a, a great cast and can't talk about it much, but that's of course. been a lot of fun. Well, has it is it on camera or is it animated or is animation. it like, okay animated. cool and a lot of teaching and a lot of demos and producing demos like crazy and people want to sort of prepare for when they can hit the ground running again. Mm. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but I'm really happy yeah. people are preparing for something. Okay, uh, I think preparing to keep staying at home, hitting the ground, the ground running is probably what they're doing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Not I tell you what. Well, yeah, I mean, before I forget, tell me, how does somebody contact you if they want a professional-grade demo made? Well, they look for my website, Sobolov.com. Okay. Um, no one in my family's ever asked for it back, so I just keep it. I've had it since 1995. All right. And there's a picture on there, so you can hear demos I've done. And uh, there's through that, or just my email, david at Sobolov.com. And social media is all at Volobos, my last name backwards. All right. Got it. Yeah, because... Um, I get asked all the time because I, I stream on Twitch. I play games that I'm horrible at. And uh, people ask me, hey, how do I get into voice acting? What advice would you have? And usually I send them to D. Bradley Baker's website, IWantToBeAVoiceActor.com. That's the first place I send them to. Most yeah, of you because... D has done all of our work for us. Yes. Thank you, D. Thank you. You saved me so much time. And you saved my vocal cords from having to explain things. But when you go through D's website, because somebody I don't think should come straight to you and say, I have no experience. I want to make a demo because well, they can come yeah. straight to me for, for teaching. Yeah, uh, exactly. Right now that's never done it in your life. And it's, it's kind of an interesting challenge for me. Right. To try to get them to the place where they understand that it's not about doing a voice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They, that's, that's the common, that's the common misconception. And I studied with Sanford Meisner. I was fortunate enough to actually study with him in the 80s. Oh, wow. In New York City. Mm -hmm. And I, everything that I do, I would not even have a career without that man. Yeah. You know, that, he taught me to do characters and not do voices. <clears throat> yeah. People, they always make the same assumption. And that is, oh, well, it's using my voice for this or that thing. So look, it's acting. And you are deprived of your likeness in your body to sell the... Uh, performance visually but it doesn't mean you can't use all of that when you're actually delivering the performance i was telling somebody mm -hmm. today in my booth i catch myself gesticulating when i'm doing sure. a performance because that's what helps on, as long as you stay on access to the microphone and you don't have any jingle jangle going on then you're yeah fine. yeah exactly so okay so if somebody wants to get into the business first yes go to i want to be a voice actor.com but mm -hmm. then somebody can come to you and say look i've read up I don't have any acting experience, but I really want to try this. So they can come to you and you basically start by saying, 
let's work on building a craft, building an approach. And then when you're ready, we do the demo, correct? Oh, yeah. No way I would start somebody off with a demo. I've turned a lot of people away, too, that think they're ready. Um, I don't want to send people out of the door with, uh, out the door with something they can't actually use to get them a job. Right. You know, there's ease anyway, but, you know, it's a marketing tool. Yeah. It's not a vanity project. Yeah. And I also have a very, uh, very deep sympathy for the fact that a lot of people are just taking people's money in this town, you know, in Hollywood. And yeah. I don't want to be one. I want them to walk out the door with something that they can actually maybe, maybe someday if they're lucky, get their money back from. Right. Yeah. From what they've, you know, what they've shown the world. But I, you can only do a demo where it's like buying a computer. Say you have your, uh, your budget's a thousand bucks. You buy the best computer you can for a thousand bucks. There's always going to be new technology next year. You do a demo that's a snapshot of where you're at now. And a couple of years later, you do another one. You mm -hmm. know, when you're first starting out the first 10 years or so. And, and of course, if you're far enough along, you're just using clips of things you've done on the air. Right. So. Right. Now, how's that Gorilla Grodd clip going for you? Because for me, one <laughs> of the coolest things you could have done is this amazing villain in a super like it was a, it was a really hot show i don't know if it's is the flash still on actually oh so, yeah it's we're going into the seventh year now oh man see this is what a boomer this is what i use now i'm obviously not a boomer but i get okay boomer a lot because that's what the kids say if you're older than 20 and so right. <laughs> i am so out of the loop on what's on i could talk about two or three shows and that's it but you being gorilla grod to me was it's it's one of the ones where I was so proud to say I know that guy because that's <laughs> such a cool villain to be and it's so high profile. Well, the wonderful thing about it is that they've been very collaborative and also very kind in terms of recognizing me as an artist and an actor. Uh -huh. uh, a lot of times in the past, you would do a voice on uh, a sheet, a live action show, and they wouldn't even give you a credit. Really? And that's changing. And that's yeah. changing, and I. I worked with them over a number of years and they kind of awarded me with a top of show guest star credit, which is very rare for voice unless you're a celebrity. So I felt really absolutely. Happy. Yeah. It me like that. But yeah, they, it's just, it's also, I've had the same director. Um, Jeff's been directing me for seven years and mm -hmm. he's one of the co-producers, uh, Jeff Garrett. We were able to, to develop this character together mm -hmm. over the course of all these years because he had to start out sort of being born and being developing and not knowing who he was and and all these different feelings developed it was a different grod than they had in the comic books you know kind of eventually followed the same lines but at first he was he was born in the in the lab and right. now he's becoming more and more intelligent every season and we're slowly incrementally making him more intelligent it's been super fun to have seven years to do that now that is interesting yeah because you don't normally get a seven-year arc to continue to develop a character no, it's uh well, it is really just one season if you think about it, because it's one or two shows a year. Yeah, uh, Grodd is fifty percent more expensive than any other Flash episode because of all the CGI they have to do. So Amazing. he gets one or two a year, and then he's out. <laughs> They're just not going to have. Him. Yeah, well, they like him, but they, it's too expensive. Yeah, I was just talking to someone recently, uh, Sissy Jones. I had her on a previous episode, and she's won a BAFTA for video game work, and. We are of the opinion that one of these days, I think they're going to create an Oscar category for voice acting because okay. I, I think so, because you're seeing so much more CGI and a lot of times you're seeing a person deliver a performance and they never had to show up on set. And so 
I think more and more as CGI creeps into movies more and more, I think you're going to notice that some characters are so important to the plot and it's a vocal performance that mm -hmm. I think they would almost have to create a category for that. Remember the movie called Her? Her, yeah, with um, mm -hmm. uh, Scarlett Johansson. Believe the whole movie's a voice. Yeah, only a voice. And I have to say, I never saw the movie, but I saw clips here and there. It's one of the most natural performances I've ever heard her give. I I don't know who, and if I did, I wouldn't say, but an entirely different actress played that part, and they replaced her. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Well, the doctoral thesis on that was um, Andy McDowell's first movie role was mm -hmm. in Greystoke in 1984 in Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. And um, her entire vocal performance was dubbed by Glenn Close because wow. she couldn't lose that Gaffney, South Carolina accent. And she's supposed to be, um, you know, highborn, living in an English manner and all that. And they said, yeah, we got to dub her entire performance. She recovered. She landed on her feet just fine. But at the time, it was a little bit ignominious. Well, and, and you've done much more of this than I have, but voice matching is an interesting animal because oftentimes yeah. the public doesn't know that you've done it. And that's kind of like when you do it for a trailer, they're never supposed to know you did it. Sometimes voice, well, you're right. When you voice match, they're never supposed to know. A trailer is one of the sneakiest times they do it. I've had trailers where I voice matched a star and they will get you doing two lines, but they'll take three words out of it. And they will take your lines and they will mm -hmm. yank those words and they will slide them right into that star's performance because they had to change those words. No one will ever know. And frankly, I forget half the time I do it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, I think people are uh, so little aware of the um, of the uh, environment that is um, that well, it has all these little holes that are plugged in by voice actors and they're never aware of it. We just sort of round out this environment for them. There's one I talk about because they, for some reason, never had me sign anything saying I couldn't. Uh, OK, the movie. Wh which movie? The movie Noah. It's a oh Russell Crowe. Yeah, yeah, Russell Crowe. I I am Franklin Jello's voice match for part of that movie. Oh really? And uh, you won't know when. Okay. Uh, there's the occasional phrase here and there. Uh, Darren Darren Aronofsky was fighting for cut with the studio, uh -huh. and you had religious groups also fighting for changes. So they kept having to make little little demos of changes they might make. So some of those ended up in the film, mm -hmm. but it gave me a lot of work that year because they kept oh, sure. different versions and they weren't going to call, they weren't going to call Franklin Jelly in for two no. words. One of the biggest boons for our uh, bank accounts are directors that can't quite make up their minds and it doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't kill the, uh, the, the bottom line to bring us in at scale every time. When I did Halo 4, um, they had us do, gibberish we could just do whatever we wanted as long as they were keywords uh -huh. and then the lawyers called them up and said we don't know what he's saying that might be something offensive in some language redo the whole thing so we <laughs> redid the whole thing but it was a it was a written out language that was similar to japanese uh -huh. and of course gibberish you it, you can do it faster because you're making it up as you go right but you know that particular made-up language was another language, so it was very—it was so slow. It took us ten minutes a line to get it right. Really? 
And here's here's my huge tip. If any writer is watching, any video <laughs> game writer, if they ever want to listen to me, boy, it would make our lives easier. If you're going to make up fictional names of places, um, alien worlds, things on alien worlds, um, and no one's ever really going to see it in print, write it out so we can say it. Instead of having a huge <laughs> glossary on the side, you're going to save so much time in the sessions. Yeah. But they don't. So you're going back and forth and trying to say it properly. They're wasting their time. This they has happened. To, yeah. Do that. This, this has happened a lot, especially when I look at commercial copy. It'll say, all right, this is a 30, meaning this is a 30-second spot. And I look at it and I say, that's not a 30. That's a 45. That that might even be a 60. And they want you to squeeze it in. It's like, I, look, I'm not even going to try I'm going to read it the way you wrote it. And if I book it, we get there on the day. I know it's going to happen. They're going to start chopping stuff out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's better than when they underwrite it because I had that happen once. I did some spots for mm -hmm. a newspaper years ago and they had five spots and they were each supposed to be 60 seconds long and they were each coming in 15 seconds short, all five. And they said, um... Yeah. Yeah, you got to have to hang on. We've got to write some stuff. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be here forever. I was there for five hours. The longest yeah. I ever hung out on a commercial was a commercial for, it was a Disneyland Halloween commercial. Uh -huh. And at Disney, there's a lot of uh, hierarchy there. People who have to approve things sometimes. Yeah. And we did the commercial and then we were waiting for approval. We waited for almost five hours for approval. <laughs> And they liked it. We went home, but you know, they pay you. So you just hope they have a good craft service table and a nice, comfortable lounge. I mean, these days, I, I've had sessions. I'm sure it's the same for you. If it's going to be a longer session, two or three hours or four hours, God forbid, at a certain point, you know, they're going to give you a break. And at least at this point, you're just thinking, okay, I'll go sit in my other comfortable chair. I'll go to the kitchen, grab a bite to eat. I'll just mm -hmm. chill. And it's, it's just so much easier to recollect yourself. At least it is for me doing this from home. A lot of the stuff I'm doing is, you know, I, I did a lot of stuff for League of Legends. I've got other video game things coming out. Uh -huh. um, intense work. It's screaming. It's, you know, I basically tell them when I need a break, right. which is nice. You know, and I think I would, again, suggest for the younger actors, if you're really hurting and tired, tell them you need a minute. Yeah. And they'll definitely give you one because they want you to sound good and they're usually compassionate. Yeah. Human being. Yeah. You don't want to rest if you need it. Yes. Not not to rip the scab off old wounds, but you and I go back 15 years and we were on the interactive negotiation committee together. Those were fractious times for the union yeah. because we had so much that we were fighting for, so many different opinions on how to fight it. I will say this. We didn't get everything we wanted that time. We know that. But the one thing I think we all recognized was afterwards the producers and directors got so much better about asking us if we needed a break because mm -hmm. we mentioned that as much as we could. It's like, look, these games are really rough on the throat. I think the pennies only really dropped recently, Chris, in terms of them really truly understanding that after two hours, they're not going to get what they want anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, look, you can look, you can keep me here for the whole four cause you booked me, but it's really going to be declining returns. Well, I feel really horrible for the older actors who had to do eight-hour animation sessions. Yeah, they, yeah. They stuck yeah. for session. Yeah, exactly. So the the one thing I've done, and it's I, I have a luxury because I get to be on a wonderful show that takes pretty good care of me, and I've been on it for a while. Mm -hmm. um, thank you, 
everyone at Gracie Films and Fox and and all of you guys with The Simpsons. It's my it's the greatest job I'll ever have. But I am very precious with those recording sessions, and I make sure that I don't do anything to stress my vocal cords before I do them because those are challenging enough. And so I have largely backed off of most video games because there's so much effort. There's so much uh, death and destruction and projecting voices. And the ones I do now are much, they're in a much more narrow wheelhouse for me. But for you, your voice seems to be fairly resilient. I don't know. I, I haven't, I don't know if I've ever heard you with your voice shot before. Um, it was shot for six months once, and I thought my career was ended. I oh, really? It's a Call of Duty video game. And okay. They had me doing four hours screaming, four uh-huh. hours screaming, uh, like twice a week for three weeks. Uh-huh. When that was done, I didn't have a voice for six months, and I thought I was, my career was over. And I, I, st- I changed my ways in a huge, I changed a huge way after that. I was very, very careful after that. How long did it, I mean, was it six months before you were 100% or was there a period uh, of time where you really just didn't have anything? It was six months sounding like this. Really? I thought, um, yep, I thought my, I thought I was having to have to go do something else with my life. How did you get back? It just came back one day. Really? So all the, to, uh, I don't know why I never went to a doctor, but I never did. Okay. I, I I imagine for starters, they probably would have given you some steroid shots and probably would have, I mean, God knows what they would have done. I have no idea, but yeah, I, Hey, you're a braver man than I, I would have been, I would have hustled over to that doctor like on well, day I had three. A, had a couple of commercial gigs where I just had to have a few words and I could kind of get it together for a few words. But okay. Permanently. It permanently cut off my high end. So any falsetto I could do previous to that, I can no longer do. Okay. And, aged my voice and made it maybe not that one gig but just the cumulative accumulation of 80 or 90 video games yeah where i'm dreaming the whole time uh not recommended but it was an interesting life for a while yeah it's you know it's a balance that so many of us have to figure out on our own um it's one thing to say hey you know you really shouldn't take that gig it's going to be rough on your voice if that actor is trying to make their pension and health benefit they've got to they've got to take the gig they they yeah. need to hit that threshold so they can live like a an adult and that's that's where it's really tough. I understand anyone having to take a job that they wouldn't normally take because they're right at that threshold and you need that, you know, especially now. Well, I also became known for how good I could scream. So of course yeah. I was getting more for these screamy jobs. And I can I'm fine on, a, on an animated show, you know, animated show your your parts it's a 22 minute or 11 minute show and Right. Uh, yeah, a few pages of screaming. I can do that. Yeah, but I don't really want to do the three or four hour screaming thing anymore. I kind of limited that. To, limit that to two hours. Yeah, don't yeah, yeah. And I, I guess if you're going to be known for something, it's it's always nice to be known for something. But I think I went out of my way after a while to say I don't want to be known for screaming. I can't. I can't keep it up. I just know that my voice is going to suffer. I actually called my agent, our mutual agent, once. One of you know, there's many at CESD. Yeah, <laughs> there are. Yeah. CESD. But I called one of our agents and just said, this particular casting director only thinks of me as a screamer. Every time I come in, I'm getting great roles, but they're all screaming. I don't know if he or she, I don't even want to say, yeah. um, thinks I can act. And I don't <laughs> actually, for a while, I didn't go out for them uh-huh. because I, I knew it was just going to be vocal damage. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in the meantime, uh, at what point did you say to yourself, okay, 
I, I've got a nice career going. It's always nice to have, but we never know when we're going to work. There's, there's so much, there's, there's such um, an inconsistency in how our calendar gets filled. At what point did you decide, I want to start throwing myself more into these side projects of demos, of uh, coaching, of writing, all of that. How long has that been going on for you? It hasn't been terribly long. I started really teaching a lot about three or four years ago. Okay. And the demos started around then, but now they're really quite frequent. Uh -huh. Voice acting, I've done a little thing, a little trick, where you have to remember, whatever you do in the audition is what they're going to want in the performance. Right. So give them something interesting that doesn't hurt your voice. Yes. I had a director tell me that too, and I... I was kind of aware of it. You kind of learn that just through self-preservation. But I remember thinking, if I don't want them to book me screaming, then don't scream in the audition. So the, the director actually told me it was on a job we were doing, a job where I did not have to scream. And he said, you know, it really is up to the actor how far they want to go. If you decide in the audition, you're going to give them a five out of a one to 10 as your scream, then great. If they cast you, that's all they wanted. But if you give them that 10, they're going to expect it. And you, as a pro, are obligated to give it to them. Well, and, and I, I keep mentioning younger actors because I'm saying things that you know, of course. But yeah. I'm going to talk to the audience here, whoever's watching. Uh -huh. um, you, you don't have to please anyone. You don't have to do exactly as you think they want. Just play a character. Yeah. Like, perform a role. And make it make interesting choices and you'd be surprised that they're going to cast you they didn't even think of that choice and they'll cast you sometimes yeah sometimes i have no idea how much this has paid off for me but i think i just do it because every now and then it's good to make a an odd or a peculiar choice because you'll see it in the copy you'll see it in the breakdown we want this specific thing and you know they're going to get that from everybody else and so you say okay mm -hmm. I'm going to give you anything but that. And God forbid, uh, I actually try and subvert your expectations a bit, but you're going to remember the one guy that decided, hey, have you thought about this? Because a lot of times, if everyone else is doing it, your chances of booking it, unless you were just insanely good, are pretty low. So you're, it's not likely you're going to get it anyway. Give them something they didn't think of and drastically improve at least how they're going to remember you, if nothing else. I'm kind of at the point now where I'm not openly defiant of size of, of specs, but I definitely yeah. get my own spin and I don't care. Yeah. You know, I want, you know, I'm not saying I'm defying them either, but it's like, this is what I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. If you like it, great. If you don't, I'll try something else. It's okay. I'm not going to yeah. worry about, you know, making everybody jump up and down with exactly what they wanted. Um, I booked one series lead and one reg series regular role with that approach. Oh, really? There was a uh, long time ago, there was a show called Sabrina, the animated series in the 90s. Uh -huh. And the spec was they wanted East Indian. They wanted Indian mm -hmm. um, sort of cliche, right. cliche invoice. And I don't have that in my wheelhouse anyway. They'd gone through everybody else in town pretty much. It was the night before they were going to be uh, recording. Uh -huh. And I said, you know what? This part is Ag Agnes Moorhead from Bewitched. <laughs> because it's they're doing this 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 uh, character, the spooky jar, only spoke in incantations uh -huh. and rhymes, and I just did. It. I just imagined Agnes Moorhead, and the director jumped up and down, and, and I got it. There you go. And another time, another time, I was playing a creature uh -huh. on a show called Judo, 
And I said, I'm just going to work on uh, portraying his humanity. I'm not going to make him a creature. And he said, you were the only one out of 600 auditions that didn't do a big blustery creature. So we cast you. Yeah. And out of 600. So yeah, imagine if you had gone the same way everyone else gone, you know, maybe you would have still booked it, but maybe, yeah. But I, I once had somebody tell me, you, you just never know. Always, always put your best foot forward. But I once had somebody tell me it was, this is for a, I think it was for a Prestone auto parts, uh, like a Prestone um, antifreeze spot. Mm-hmm. And it was just me doing a regular voice, you know, just sort of my, you know, kind of cool, laid back kind of uh, announcer guy. And they told me at the recording, they said, we listened to 200 people. And it was lunchtime. And we thought, all right, look, we're all starving. Let's go eat lunch. You know what? Let's listen to one more. And then we'll go to lunch. And is it, And it was yours. And we were hungry. And we heard it. We go, yeah, he's good. And then they went to eat lunch. And I thought, it's because they were hungry. And they said, mm-hmm. fuck it. Let's listen to one more. And that's why yeah. I booked it. And I have zero problem with that. Because there are other times where I would have been number 199. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just, it's, it's like in sports, the ref make bad calls for you sometimes, but other times he's going to make calls that work in your favor. It evens out over time. One of the best commercials I ever booked was when I was, when I lost my voice and uh-huh. it was only five words. So I could find my voice for those five words. It was liquid plumber destroys clogged drains. <laughs> really? <laughs> and how yeah. long, did, how long did that run? Um, year and a half. <laughs> Nice. It did well. well. Nice. Um, But that was a funny audition too, because there were, I'm not even exaggerating. There had to be 15 people in the room that wanted to have their opinion heard. Oh, really? I I was performing that. So they printed the very first thing I did. Very first or second take that I did was the one that ended up in the commercial, but I was there for 40 minutes redoing that line with different people's direction. So that everybody could at least direct it once. This is another thing that, yeah, for, I mean, younger actors couldn't possibly know this. Older actors, more experienced actors, we end up encountering this and we learn the hard way sometimes. But sometimes there are things that have nothing to do with you, but they exist in that environment and you have to jump through the hoops. And you're right. When there's a room full of people and you can sense there's an odd dynamic at work, you realize my job's going to be harder today than it normally would be. But just go along with it because there are forces at work that have nothing to do with me. I, I sometimes try to mediate those forces. There was one time it was a video game and there was a, there was a director. They were both remote before most, most sessions were remote. Most people were usually in the room with you. But at this time, yeah. it was you. One was in Sweden and one was in somewhere and someone was doing it at three o'clock in the morning. It was crabby. Mm-hmm. The other guy was like in Australia. So, I mean, they were both in crazy times. Our time zones were so far away from each other and they were fighting with each other uh. over every line. And like, do it this way, do it that way, do it that way. And I actually intervened. I just said, I will do, you guys talk about it and then I'll do it. You guys uh-huh. talk about it first. Don't have me do each line. You know, 20 times or you won't have me in an hour yeah yeah and you just have to sometimes be a referee if there's something like that's going on it doesn't happen very often but i've definitely yeah. been problems before <laughs> yeah. i was once uh i i will not drop the name um even though that it was not the star's fault at all but i was doing a series of spots with a star 
And of course, when you're doing a spot with a star, you're just sort of the uh, the straight man in the spot. And the star is there to get all the funny lines. And, and I knew what my job was going to be. It was going to be to feed them, which is fine because that's the spot doesn't work otherwise. So here we are doing different spots and they're always running a little bit long. And the star is riffing and they're taking longer to say their lines. I'm doing mine as absolutely robotically efficiently as possible. Mm -hmm. There's not a wasted fraction of a second. And at the end of every take, we're running a little bit long. Um, Chris, I think you're just going to have to speed it up, man. <laughs> they okay. can't blame the star. Yeah. No, they can't. And I thought, look, I know what's happening here. And I know they're not going to blame me. I know they're, they, they really know what's happening, but they can't say anything. And mm -hmm. so every single take, yeah, uh, still running long. Uh, look, Chris, you know, what can you do? And I just thought, uh, okay, fine. And at a certain point, I think they just, they, they managed to make do with it. And the funny thing is the spots never even ran. They just, uh, yeah, we got paid, you know, but, but yeah, I, I realized there, look, I'm, I know what my role is here and I'm in service of somebody larger than me. So, uh, yeah, do your job, do your job, take the check and get the hell out. There was a, um, I can't, Christopher, some, tell me, famous Christopher, English fellow. Um, Plumber? Was, no, he's no, Canadian. He's, he's Canadian. Uh, and, let's see. No, but anyway, he would do occasional video games. He was a very famous, sort of very uh, heavy, you know, uh, full of gravitas, this guy. Uh -huh. Anyway, he would come in and uh, a producer told me about this and, and he would say, uh, we're going to do this once, one take, and then we're done. So he wouldn't let them direct him at all. <laughs> <laughs> he just did it once and then he left. So yeah. he got with it. Yeah, smart. Absolutely. And, uh, another huge note, I think, for people out there is that, and I'm sure you'll agree with this too, even if you're doing this for 30 years, don't ever become a diva because your career will end real fast. Yeah, yeah. The The divas are reserved for the people that cannot be replaced. And so, yeah, if, uh, say, Tom Cruise comes in, and I don't believe Tom Cruise is a diva, but if he decided he was going to do some voiceover, he could be a diva and they would put up with it. But you, even though you're working a ton, can walk in there and decide, I'm going to make everything difficult for other people. Hey, look, I'm sure you're great, but they're going to find somebody else who is also great, who is not a diva. We are, I, yeah, you know, we know I, where we fit. I try to be humble and I try to be grateful because uh, they don't have to hire me. Yeah. You know, I'm a guest in their house and I'm grateful to be there. Uh, look what we get to do with our lives. Yeah. We're very lucky. Exactly. I know. And uh, the way I look at it is I interviewed Rob Paulson a while back. And if Rob Paulson can be humble and gracious for every single job and who will, without fail, always thank the directors and the producers for hiring him, for casting him, and he does, then Rob Paulson, who is uh, on the, route, the Mount Rushmore, at least he's on my Mount Rushmore for voice acting. If he can do that, then nobody else has an excuse not to be gracious and not to realize that they are not bigger than the project. Some of the, the greats, the voiceover greats at times in my career have been so kind to me. It's brought tears uh, to my, you know, I was at um, a premiere with Frank Welker. Oh man. And it was a Transformers Prime that we were doing, the Transformers Prime series. Mm -hmm. And they featured a clip that featured me, but I wasn't discussed. It was like they were the, the stars were, uh, the, the people that considered the stars were on, on the stage. Right. I wasn't included. But the clip was pretty much mostly me. So he's, <laughs> and he he 
he actually he actually pointed me out in the audience. It was at Universal Studios. There were maybe five hundred people there. Oh, nice. He said, "The voice that will untie your shoes, David." So, <laughs> and I, a, I couldn't believe he remembered my name, and B, right. it was just very very sweet of him to do. He didn't have to do that. It's funny. I've only gotten to work with Frank Welker once. I only got to meet him once, and it was years ago. And it was for a pilot for Mulan, uh, for a, mm -hmm. basically a series based on Mulan. And they ended up choosing the Emperor's New School instead. So they had like four different Disney property pilots going. And right. uh, mine didn't get picked up. But I was there to do Javi Feierstein's character. Ouch. Yeah, because Javi didn't want to do it. So I was going to step in. And so I'm sitting there in the lobby over at LA Studios. And I'm just hanging out, waiting to go in. And this guy sits next to me and um, uh, I said, hey, I'm Chris. How you doing? Uh, I'm going to be uh, Harvey's character for this. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm going to be the cricket. And he says, yeah, I do animal noises. I said, oh, that's great. You know, you could do pretty well doing animal noises because he was being very humble and self-effacing. And I almost said, you know, there's this guy, Frank Welker, who does nothing but animal noises, it seems, you know, and, and he works all the time. And then he said, yeah, I'm Frank Welker, by the way. <laughs> and I thought... Oh my God, thank God I didn't completely make an ass of myself. I only made half of an ass of myself. And I got to sit next to him and watch that oh, guy no. do. The, the noises that he could make were astonishing. And him and Peter Cullen in the same room. Uh, oh riffing. man, yeah. I'll never forget the fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, the number of people we've gotten to work with that just has my jaw dropped to the floor. And a lot of times... It isn't just because I grew up listening to them, but it really is the scope of their talent that really does bowl me over. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I, I felt that way with Jeff Bennett. I worked with him once and I thought, holy shit, I think this may be the most talented guy I've ever stood next to. He's fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. And I, I'm always in awe of D whenever I work with him. Yeah. D's right up there too, you know? And um, the, uh, the fun thing is when you go to, say, a convention and you get to sit next to him, do a panel with them, and before you know it, you're asking and answering questions alongside somebody that you realize is like, I actually can't believe I'm sitting in the same at the same table with them. And it's so easy for me to fanboy out over situations mm -hmm. like that, because I I grew up really thinking about doing this one day. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to get into this, but somehow it's going to happen. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up playing French horn. <laughs> I wasn't doing this at all. Uh, <laughs> I toured, uh, toured the western part of uh, Canada with an a cappella group singing. And I was it's almost like I was looking for something in the arts that, that would find me. And right. the voice really found me. Yeah. Wasn't looking for it. How long were you up in Canada before you made the move down here? Oh, I grew. I was born in Canada. Right. Lived there most of my life. Went to New York City to study the Playhouse. Okay. Meisner, okay. Um, and then went back to Canada. Um, I've been here 20 years, but uh, I've been back and forth in Canada quite a bit too. Uh, I've got a few years on me now, so. Well, yeah, yeah. Now, um, I've talked to a few people, like veterans of this scene, who have decided to move away. And they've just realized that, you know what, either it's because they think the uh, system of going into a studio is forever changed, or it could be a combination of that and the fact that they've got enough time in the bank where they're by not being around, they're not necessarily going to lose all their work. So I, and they all, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
now that we're used to having people work at home and they realize if you have the right equipment and you have source connect it doesn't matter where you are yeah now however it used to be a situation where you didn't get to do that they could do it technically you didn't get to do that unless you really paid your dues right right i like that a little bit they still probably eh, no i'm wrong i was gonna i'm gonna contradict myself they will take new people from out of town now oh yeah before okay okay well hey fair enough i mean i i um my wife and i talk about politics all the time and we keep saying you know um i don't know why it's a big deal to just let everybody vote i don't know why they have to keep on saying let's stop the vote let's stop the vote it's like why don't you just let everybody vote for god's sakes why are you afraid of not letting everyone vote? I'm the same feeling. Really yeah, I know. We could, we could go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. And I don't mind doing it. I don't care. I talk about whatever I want on here. Um, I, uh, I'm of the same opinion. Look, if somebody wants to go all over God's green earth to find the right voice, I don't mind who I have to compete against. Um, I've been very lucky, knock on wood once again. If I lose the job, but the project uh, does well, fine. I've got enough going on where I can... I'll be okay. Now, maybe I wouldn't have felt that way 15 years ago. I don't know. But if they want to go to somewhere else to find the right part, do it. I'm, I'm not afraid of them looking everywhere to find the right person so long as they know what they're doing and what they want. This sounds like a cliche, Chris, but you're only competing against yourself. Yeah. It really is true. Um, you can't worry about all the other people that are auditioning. Just do the best you can. Play the character. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not even in the character. You're, you're worried. Yeah, that you must have, if you haven't seen it, I know you would agree with it. Brian Cranston's, uh, it's a very short video. He was being interviewed. I think it was at the SAG Awards backstage. Mm -hmm. And he said, for years, I would go into an audition as an actor trying to book a job. And I realized later, all I was doing was being desperate. The character I was supposed to play didn't know anything about wanting to get a job. It was a character that existed in a story and had a backstory and had a point of view. And I wasn't playing that. I was playing an actor trying to portray a character so I could get work. He said, you know what? Forget all that other stuff. Go in, play the character. Just play the character. That's all they want you to do anyway. Yeah. He says, as soon as I did that, I never stopped working. Oh, yeah. I work, I work way more now that I'm absolutely focused on playing characters and not doing voices. Yeah. And I'm not worried about, you know, I'm not worried about what the character sounds like. It sounds like the character. Yeah. I'm not worried about whether or not they want that. I just want to portray it the way I think the way I think is true. Yeah. You know, my acting is living truthfully under given imaginary circumstances, and I just think of of animation as heightened reality. Yeah. So although they might have a, a that strange hobby voice, he's still yeah. telling a story. Yeah. He has to read, you know, to read the story so that we understand it and have people in the room with them in his mind and Right all those things but I, I think a lot of young students too they'll not only do a voice but they'll try to do what they think is what they want this is what's good this is good right they'll want this right yeah Who knows <laughs> if they'll want it? yeah it's like hey you know what yeah i could tell you what i think they want based on my 20 years in the business but i'm just as likely to be wrong i don't know what that that casting director is thinking in that minute where they decide to sit down and listen to yours I don't know if they're going to give you eight seconds or 15 seconds or two seconds. So you know what? You're better off going with your instinct. So yeah, the, the best thing you can do, I'm sure as a teacher is teach that student how to develop a process that they can rely on mm -hmm. so that they don't keep second guessing themselves. 
Yeah, and so much of it has to do with telling the story. And I'm starting a, another class type where I'm making a game show, and the game is called Do I Believe You? Oh, nice. That's really all it is. There's so many different ways that you have to be believed within a script, but I have to believe all of it in order to hire you, really. Yeah. Yeah. I have, uh, thanks to having two kids, seven and nine, who are constantly watching some kind of animated program, I am, whether I like it or not, forced to hear a lot of performances that I might not have taken the time to listen to. And it actually starts to give me a bit of a window into sometimes, yes, what they are looking for, or at least a general performance that suits this category. So they're really into um, anime at the moment. So they watch things like Kaijudo and and um, I don't let them watch uh, Naruto because that's the show I worked on. It's not for young kids. They but watch Kaijudo, my show, the one that's sort of they might stuff. have they might have watched that. I can't keep up with all of it, but they definitely watch Pokemon. And they definitely watch other sort of lesser known anime shows. And I started to notice with one of these particular anime shows they watch, I don't know if any of it's union, but I could never quite put my finger on why every single actor was giving the exact same performance. And I realized, oh, I don't know how they're being directed, but if I were to try and mimic what they were doing, it would be as though I were a PA announcer for every line. Attention, please. I am now saying this, and I want everyone to hear it. And so, I don't know why it is, but I'm going to use this style. You will never defeat me. Now I will use this style, and you will use this defense. I thought every single part is a PA announcer, and I don't know why the directors like it, but that's exactly what you hear in this particular show. Uh, it's uh, it's a style that was very popular in the 1960s. If you listen to animation, like Marvel animation in the 60s, uh-huh. that's what that was like. Yeah. Superhero voice projects from, yes. the, from that barrel of a chest. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And to hear the kids, they're watching it now. It doesn't even phase them. They just, they're so into this world, you know? And at the same time, my, my son at nine is watching The Simpsons and he's getting at least half of the jokes. And I thought, wow, well, I've ruined him at this point. <laughs> I've got him. I've got him binging that show. So you know, does he know you're on it? Yeah, he does. He does. And every now and then, this is one of the things that sort of makes my head swell. But he'll be watching an episode, and I'll catch it, and I'll realize, oh, I'm I'm about to come up here, and my character will say a line, and he'll stop, and he'll look at me, and he'll smile, and then he'll go back, and it makes me proud. But my son, <laughs> yes. Yeah, my son is also a working voice actor. He had a job today. He has a job tomorrow. That's He's great. seen himself on there, and I will look at him, and I will shower him with praise. I, I could not be prouder, and um, I, I wish every dad could feel that way about their kid. And I know every dad does. When their kid makes a basket in the, in the uh, basketball mm-hmm. game or, or brings home a nice grade or just does something that you didn't expect them to do, that's what it feels like. I love that. That's great. You must feel that way when you see some of your students that you've worked with be able to take that next step. Well, even in, in the middle of teaching them when they make a big breakthrough and they start understanding yeah. you know, what it is to be a performer. Um, and of course, when they, they sometimes come back to me now and let me know when they've booked a big job or something. That's always nice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, one of these days, you're going to end up working on the same show as one of them. I mean, how great is that going to be? I already be? have. Oh, you have? Yeah, it was great. I was... 
you know, getting tears in my eyes. <laughs> it's like, this, oh, you're, there he is, Guardians of the Galaxy, right beside me. I loved it. Oh, that's awesome. That's, I mean, that's that's your parental moment right there. As you realize, oh my God, I you've gotten so big. Where's the time gone? <laughs> it was funny because he was playing a villain that was overtaking Drax's power. So he was he was bigger and stronger than I was. It's like the, the student is usurping the, the teacher. <laughs> I know. That is funny. Uh, that is funny. Now, um, the upside of what you're doing, especially with the technology we have today, is you can do it from anywhere. Have you thought about doing it from anywhere else or do you really like where you are? Like I never disclose neighborhoods. I, I don't tell people where I live. I say I live in L.A. So yeah. I'm, we're not leaving our neighborhood anytime soon, but we do think about it. We do think about how uh, yeah. how available I, I, that is. I like my neighborhood. I um, I will be completely honest. Um, I may lose a few, few fans saying this, but if Trump won the election, I would start thinking about alternatives. I had the same. Look, my wife grew up in Venezuela. She tells me um, she watched Trump from day one. And whenever he would do something, she would say, Chavez did that. Chavez did that. And he did that. And I said, oh, you're exaggerating. Then I realized, nope, she's not. She's not exaggerating at all. And we did discuss it. I said, look, I'm tied to the show that I'm on. And as long as that show's on, we're staying here. And luckily, we're in California, which is almost an island. We're able to protect our way of life to a degree. But I look, fingers crossed, it ain't over yet. This will... And, and yeah. hates us because someone's going to watch this six months from now and they're going to know what happened. But yeah. um, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I'm hopeful too. I'm confident, but I'm not overconfident. But um, I will say this. Even if he loses, and I am not rooting for him to win, um, even if he loses, there are... Um, I, I am disappointed that we have enough people who think it was okay for somebody to es essentially thumb their nose at democratic norms that preserve the way of life that we have really come to take for granted. And so we've got to do something about how people just sort of were okay with things like making the press the enemy of the people, lying with impunity, e even for a politician, lying way more than we're used to and um, actually doing things that were in their own self-interest and not in the interest of the citizens and compromising that. I just thought, I never thought that we had it in us to be okay with that. I don't think we do. However, um, I think a certain percentage of people are, are um, having their own reasons for, for the, why they're voting the way they're voting. They yeah. may be living in desperation and they want a savior. Um, they may be white supremacists, and they're looking for someone that promotes that. They may only um, feel that they can only put an only vote for someone that has an R beside their name, and that's just their religion. You know? Yeah, yeah. And listen, it used to be a very different situation years ago because I'll, I'll talk to anybody about their politics. Yeah, me too. But if we don't agree on facts, we can't have a debate. If I source an article in the in the Washington Post and a friend says that's fake. Yeah, I don't do with that. Yeah, we you know, can't. I, yeah, we can't be in the same conversation. A Pulitzer Prize reporter and they considered it fake. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know even how to continue with that discussion. I know, and this is where it's become difficult for me as well because I have a dog in this fight. In that I have a journalism degree, and um, when I learned how um, rigorous 
the vetting process for a responsible article is when I see what comes out, I know that it isn't anything that recent, but it has happened slowly over time. Journalistic standards have slipped because it's become much more bottom line, much more commercial. And so yeah. they have to get clicks. Clicks feed the revenue. And in order to get clicks, they have to write a clickbait headline, which means they may write an article and produce a headline that has nothing to do with the essence of the article. And at a certain point, the reader begins to doubt the intent of uh, the writer, of the platform they're reading on. And it becomes very easy for someone to come along and just start directly appealing to their bias. And you're right. Once you've talked to somebody who only reads media that comes from an echo chamber, you're not going to be in the same reality as them. Remember the fairness doctrine? Yeah. Yeah. You know, before around, what was it, 99 that came in? Or yeah, that went out? We, we used to, uh, well, we learned about part of this. We learned about it in college. Uh, we learned that basically, uh, I don't know when they did away with it, but yeah, if you gave one candidate ad time, you had to give the other candidate the exact same amount of ad time. And, uh, and they did away with that. If it was commentary, it had to say commentary on the bottom of the screen. Yeah. You couldn't have Fox News and the Fairness Doctrine. And when that right. went away, it allowed them to to exist um i i've known fox executives uh on the news side uh -huh. and people that have told me about meetings with executives where they've discussed it and they freely admit that it's entertainment yeah it's right-wing entertainment it's not meant right. to be news yeah it's meant for a niche and again if you want to make things for a niche that's fine i'm a capitalist go create your business but like with uh, the cigarette companies that were finally forced to say, yes, okay, these will kill you. But um, hey, aren't they delicious? Say, look, just tell the consumer what you're honestly selling them. Do that, and I got no problem with you because I expect people to be adults. So if, if an outlet is just going to say, this is spin, we are not directly reporting facts, we are giving you an analysis of facts. If they say that, but they don't say it enough. They don't, they don't nearly lead with that enough. So they allow the people watching to think they're watching an unfiltered truth. And they're not. Well, and we do it in the animation industry sometimes too. There are some shows that are produced by toy companies. Oh, yeah. And they're half-hour toy commercials. Yeah, absolutely. They try to pretend that they're not. I've been involved in some shows that were meant to be that, but we worked really hard against it. Uh -huh. We worked really hard to create a great show so that people could be entertained while doing what the toy company needs us to do. Uh -huh. um, I've, I've had a, a, a cartoon character canceled fairly recently. I won't even say you know, what it is, but um, it was because the toy wasn't violent, because the character wasn't violent. They, they wanted a violent toy. Really? Oh, my God. Can't you have one that's not violent? Maybe that's the nonviolent toy. There's the selling point. Well, at least they made it, so I have one. <laughs> yeah, well, you may have the only one. Now it's a collector's item. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a grand tradition of that. And I'm all for it. Yeah, you know what? Be honest about it. Say, look, this is, this is I mean, for example, He-Man. There's a great Netflix series about how toys were made. He-Man was a toy long before it ever became anything else. And they said, we got to sell this toy. Well, how about a cartoon? Okay, let's write a bunch of episodes and hire a bunch of actors and animators. And then, you know, the toy just went through the roof. They made a comic book 
and a cartoon all so they could sell the toy. You yeah. know? Well, you know, I get it. Like you say, capitalism. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with that. But I also, I do want to tell a story yeah. when I'm doing a cartoon. Yeah. And I think creators of the show want that too. Right. Like I have a very, very tiny soapbox that I stand on when it comes to things I'll read for. And in the last 10 or 12 years, I have stopped doing political ads or at least auditioning for them unless I actually know what the hell it is about and I agree with it. And the other thing is um, I stopped working for one particular company and I won't, I won't call them out, but I'd worked for them several times. They don't pay a lot, but they were really fun and they told fun stories, but they were based on uh, Bible stories. And I'm not religious. I'm basically agnostic, but I have no problem telling a Bible story. If, mm -hmm. if it's fairly innocuous and it has a nice message, I'm cool with that. But the parent company, they would, they, uh, they basically fought very hard to deny um, the LGBTQ community the chance to have um, marriage equality. And I thought, I look, and it wasn't even the show that had anything to do with it, but they're owned by that company and they embraced it. And I thought, I just can't work for them anymore. And this year, they even came and asked, hey, when can we get Chris back on the show? And I just told, uh, I told our agent, I said, look, you can, here's my reason and you can tell them this or not. It's up to you. I have no problem with them knowing and I, I don't say this with, with ill intent, but I just, I cannot in good conscience work under, that, under those circumstances. That's it. And she just said, you know what? We're just going to tell them you're not available anymore and they'll understand. They know. Yeah, they'll, that's code. Yeah, it's code. It's like, look, I'm no longer available to work for you. And and such they were such nice people. But my wife and I were talking about this too. She says, how is it sometimes somebody can vote for someone that is such a, a blatantly cruel person and they themselves are nice people? I've met them. And I said, baby, people are complicated. They're I talking about that and he did sort of an informal survey in his neighborhood very conservative neighborhood yeah and they said all of them said they would not have trump over to dinner or yeah. have him run any business that they were involved in but they still were going to vote for him yeah and uh look i've got family members that have voted for him and at least one or two that i know of that will vote for him again and uh, my family members are not bad people, but they have their reasons. And I don't even bother asking him anymore. I'm not even going to have the conversation because at a certain point, he will be gone. And I hope there'll be a way that we can engage again, because that's the if there's any message in this is that, look, wh whether you like Trump or, or don't like him, I, it, I, I, I refuse to even entertain the idea that he has not divided people more. And when he's gone, we have to get back together again. And I refuse to make enemies for life over it. Well, it used to be thought of as the United States of America. The word united yeah. was yeah. in that equation. And now we're in a cold civil war. Yeah, we're definitely in a culture war. There is well, a, a, a hot one. Yeah, I know. I am hopeful once again. I, I'm hopeful that we will have a definitive outcome and a speedy resolution to that definitive outcome. So uh, perhaps I'm a bit too optimistic, but I got to try. It's a very weird freedom is a very weird concept if you really think about it, because if you get so free that you can actually impinge other people's rights with your freedom, then how free really are you? Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and that's well, kind of where we're now. We're getting into that territory now. It must be interesting because I have a few friends who are Canadian, and some of them have thought about going back because they just see the way that things are going in a way that they weren't comfortable with. But I'd, I'd ask them sometimes, what was it like living up there? And they say, look, it's not this perfect paradise, but we, uh, we're a lot more civil in our politics to each other. Yes, we have a right-wing fringe. And no, we're not completely free of racism other, or other problems. But they have a way to communicate with each other that I think we have lost. There's one thing that we should do down here that would change everything. This two-year election cycle mm-hmm. just brings up the worst in people. The Canadian election cycle happens when uh, Parliament is dissolved. Uh-huh. The, um, they have to call an election. And it all happens within maybe five weeks at the and, most. And they do that in uh, because you're, you're basically your you're, um, political system is inherited from Britain. I believe, yeah. The queen, the queen is still the official head of government in Canada, although right. it's really just on paper. However, the crown, you know, the crown, you're always looking up to the crown. Yeah. The prime minister is the one that is the leader of the party that has the most seats in parliament or right. has formed a coalition. Uh-huh. You know, the minority government, the majority government has the majority. And uh, that person can change. If, you, uh, if they don't have a riding, if, if they lose their own little election in their riding, then they aren't prime minister anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've they find read... a writing for have some, they have a by-election and they try to find something for them. Yeah, it, it is. We have a, we have a different system and I've read a little bit more about it. I'm by no means a political expert, but it is really hard to make a democracy like ours work for a long time. Eventually you do come up with a populist and sometimes a, a rather malignant one because sometimes the system can get so stratified that people do feel, like you said, they feel desperate. And so that desperation didn't come from nowhere. And mm-hmm. Trump wasn't the reason people were desperate. He just saw it. He capitalized on it. And the democracy has to be strong enough to withstand that that um, that stress test. So Our checks it's, it's and balances are sometimes conventions and not laws. As, as we're learning. That's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they could go through everything that happened and try to tighten a few things up. It might help. Yeah, I think that's what is going to end up happening. Uh, I talked to my father about this um, because he was pretty high up in government and does understand it more than I do. And he said that at a certain point, he, he believes the executive branch is going to get restricted a bit because of this, because it's been shown that um, there aren't a whole lot of guardrails on it. And so I, I think... If people can, for a minute, put aside whether or not they want to vote for Trump or Biden or uh, Jorgensen, the libertarian candidate, forget about for a minute who you're going to vote for and who Dave and I have probably already voted for. Think about whether or not you think our democracy is actually working as well as it should. I don't think anybody would agree. I don't think they would agree at all. I think we've got we're perilously close to straight up minority rule. And if the shoe's on the other foot, the other side won't like it either. We need to get back to a system that works better and less tribalism, less people looking at the R or the D. It's called tyranny of the minority. Yeah. In 92, I voted for Perot. I, I barely gave a shit about politics, but it's not like it's not in me to vote for a brash billionaire who says what's on his mind. But there were guardrails to Perot. He had some ideas. He wasn't there to turn people against each other. But... Mm-hmm. The thing that for me cements it, and again, this was an argument that I decided not to take to Twitter. I try not to get into this on social media. 
But for me, if I knew nothing else about our president, and I mean literally if I knew nothing else about him, I know these two things are absolutely true because he said them and he continues to say them. One, he believes if he doesn't win, it's because the other side will have cheated. And two, he does not commit to respecting the results of an election and a peaceful transfer of power. Now, I don't care who you are. If your candidate says those two things, you should run screaming from the room from them. They are as mm -hmm. far away from Democratic, and I don't mean Democratic the party, I mean being a democratically minded person as mm -hmm. is possible, and that is objectively true. I do not know how a person can say, I only win, or they only win if, if they cheat, and I will not respect the peaceful transfer of power. That person should be marginalized immediately. The phrase should be has come up a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah. And <laughs> should be and could be and would be and um, yeah. it all, whatever serves political purposes is what happens at the end of the day. Yeah. Although I can say with 100% accuracy, if every single person who ever got to run for the office always said and believed those two things, you wouldn't have a democracy within about two or three election cycles. It'd be done. It'd be I done. I think we're pretty much done in four years if Trump's reelected. I, you know... I'd, I'll say this, um, we talk about plan B, we talk about what would we do, where would we go, and um, this is something you're seeing around the world, this is not just in one place, uh, Britain's having their problems with it, there are more authoritarian uh, governments sort of blooming around Europe and in the Pacific Rim, so it, it comes and goes, it goes in waves, and we are currently in a wave that is anti-democratic, and um, you can find an enclave where it's not going to touch you as much, but eventually it will have to be reckoned with, and um, it, is, uh, it is not something you can turn your back on for long, and so no matter where we go, we will continuously have to keep our ears to the ground to make sure that, like, look, I don't mind Republicans winning an election if I'm not voting for them. I can live with that. I've this is the mm -hmm. first time I've ever voted for a Democrat in my life for president. I just think I live in California. It doesn't matter who I vote for. On general principle, I'm voting for Biden. But mm -hmm. I'm OK with the other side winning. It happens. But I don't like it when the other side is actively backing someone who is blatantly trying to dismantle just norms of government that we absolutely have to have to be a functioning democracy. To me, that's objectively true. Do you believe in the Electoral College and the validity of it? Should it be gone? I used to believe it because it used to work. It used to be the Electoral College would go with the person who would win the popular vote. It was, it was rare that it didn't go that way. Now it's become de rigueur for the loser of the popular vote to still win the Electoral College. And I realize this isn't really representative. It's, well, you know, it's not really a democracy when that's happening. No, I mean, we're not, not, yeah. not. Well, we're not a pure democracy because pure democracy is 50% plus one. So, yeah, was, you know, yeah, exactly. It was, now, it was a republic. It was never set up to be democracy. Exactly. We're a, we're a democratic republic, you know, yeah. There are many different flavors of democracy. You can go to Wikipedia and get a wonderful history lesson and a civics lesson and how all this works. And so that's why people say, oh, Biden's a socialist. Well, he's nothing remotely close to that. But. Um, uh, people you should do a little a relief check. You're a socialist <laughs> yeah, exactly too. like, look, you, you drove on a public highway to get here. You checked a book out of the library. 
you know, you have Medicare and Medicaid, um, the fire department, the police department. These are not private enterprises. So we, we should check that criticism. Um, no, pure socialism is, is nowhere here, but we have many socialist elements of our society and we should be damn glad we have them. And, mm -hmm. you know, we still have a very capitalist society. People shouldn't be afraid. But, you know, I, yeah, I, I think we really do have to revisit how we're electing our officials if, if the majority of the people that vote for them don't get the person they voted for. Um, look, it, it's time for a rewrite. As Bill Maher likes to say, the Constitution needs a page one rewrite. You know, I, I've never been on a, a podcast where we've gotten this deep into politics. I'm curious to know yeah. from maybe you have some something deep in the machine that you're able to analyze. Do you find when the guests drift away from voice acting, the, the listenership goes away or do they keep listening? Um, if I decided to look into it, I might come up with an answer, but I don't care. I, I, you know, yeah, no, I could give it two fucks. You know, it's like, look, I, I, I've said this before. I have people on that I like, that I know that, that have a talent, that have something to offer. And a lot of times I'm thinking, you know what? I'll bet, I'll bet David Sobolov has a lot of fans who wonder what he's really like. Well, this is what David's really like. We're hanging out and we're talking. And mm -hmm. a lot of people have a problem with Joe Rogan. He's controversial, but Joe Rogan's podcasts are just hangouts. If you want to know what somebody's like, have them go on Joe Rogan. He'll talk to him for a couple of hours. You may virulently disagree with everything they say, but you're getting who they are. And so that's what this is. This is Dave. This is me. We, we went from talking about how to book a job to, well, what the hell is wrong with our political system? I don't care if people like it or not. This is a whole new world of um, exchanging ideas that yeah. we were sort of censoring for a while. You know, in the 60s, you, you'd go on, on Password and they'd lick your, you up backstage and you'd have a party out there. <laughs> have fun. Yeah. But after a while, you know, the talk shows, they would pre-interview you and make sure that you knew what you were saying. Yeah. They were, it was all scripted. And it used to be you go on a talk show in the 70s and you'd be smoking your, your camels and, and yeah. talking about what you want to talk about. Right. People had fun. This is a hang. And this is what podcasts have done for the world. I, I think they're great. And again, you have to just go and find the ones you want. And for anyone wondering... I'm fairly liberal, but I ain't that liberal. I'm not that woke. I do believe that you can go too far to the left. I have a problem with a lot of PC things that are out there that I think people tap dance around other people's sensibilities way too much. I, I think people need to learn how to take a joke, analyze content and or context and realize that context does matter. You can't just decide you're offended and then the other person that said something innocuous has to apologize. I Believe me. If somebody on the right is telling me they are fed up with uh, people on the left, I'll say, look, I'm here to listen to you, brother. I'm with you sometimes, but other times I'm not with you. So that's why I could talk to anybody about this. If I had somebody on that wants to tell me how great Trump is, I'll say, all right, lay it on me. Bring it. Bring it. Let's talk about it. Let's mm -hmm. talk about it because we're not going to do any good shouting at each other. I want you to tell me why. Give me why. I have no, yeah. I've asked, I've asked that question. And I've not gotten anyone ever that hasn't quoted me a talking point yeah. that I've heard many people say, some catchphrase, you know, like "Make America Great Again," yeah, or something they heard on Fox News that has been repeated. And it's sort of like the if Fox News didn't exist, maybe Trump wouldn't exist. Well, um, I think it's safe to say that Trump needed help 
to get where he was. Because when he came down that escalator in 2015, I thought, there's no way this guy even makes it to Iowa. There's no way he makes it to Iowa. What he is saying is pure grift. It is pure snake oil, and it is absolutely calculated to appeal to people who are just angry and nothing else. And fuck me, I didn't know what the hell I was getting into because he just he just steamrolled everybody. But how did he do it? It wasn't just because people were angry. It was because he had an entire network propping him up and gladly carrying water for him. But only eventually. They did not at first take to him. They mocked him. And the Republican Party tried to get rid of him. They had 15 other people they would have taken over him because those people they could control. Remember, Paul Ryan wouldn't even say Trump's name the day before the election. He said, I think people should vote for the Republican nominee. (laughs) He couldn't even say his name and he quit. That's how much they hate Trump. Now, some of them love him because they just, I don't know, they're, they're just inclined to love that personality type. But no, you're right. He needed a media conglomerate to help him because I don't think there were enough people for him to straight up win. He needed other help. I encountered a fan last night online that got a little upset with me and said, I was your fan and now I'm, you know, you don't care if, if, you're, if, if I'm your fan. And it was literally about um, people's right to vote. Oh, really? Uh, it was interesting the way she couched it. It was like, because I maybe I wouldn't want to lose her as a fan, maybe I should change my political opinion. I usually avoid saying anything political on my stream um, just because people have other people barking ideas at them all day long. And they have, they, they are, are, they're coming at them with their own political take on things all day long. And I want people to see me as look. here's a guy that just enjoys what he's doing. He's, he's playing the game. He's interacting with fans of the game, of his own work, all of that. But at a certain point, we reached the tipping point because I saw an existential threat to the the kind of life that my wife was seeking when she moved here as an immigrant, okay? My wife moved here as an immigrant. She learned the language. She got any job she could. She brought her family over. She worked tirelessly. She's the most American person I've ever met. She embodies the ideals that we are supposed to represent. She left a country that was dismantling the freedoms that she thought everyone should have. And then she saw in a nominee, and then later her president and my president, that same attitude, and she knows what it looks like. And now I know what it looks like, and I know enough history to know what it looks like. And I thought, okay, I'm going to say my piece. A person does not have to continue to like my work because of my political opinion. I don't care if you don't like me anymore. If I say something you disagree with, that's fine. You don't have to. And I, I have no problem with actors going off on a rant about their political beliefs because they're people, they're citizens. Citizens don't get to make political commentary. Of course they do. You know, they'll, they'll say to a famous actor, go back and be an actor. You shouldn't voice your opinions. Yeah. Why should everyone be able to voice their opinions? Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you're an actor doesn't mean you don't get a vote. Just because you're an actor doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion. Now, if somebody enjoys seeing you as a character, and now they can't see you as that character anymore. Okay. Well, look, but that's on you. It's not my fault. Like, I'm... That's true. Yeah, I think uh, Yeah, I think Sean Penn is one of our greatest actors. I think he's as good as you can get. 
I also detest the fact that he carried water for Hugo Chavez and just, you know, aggrandized the guy. But you know what? Who cares? I don't have to agree with his personal views to appreciate his art. I will go see his movies and enjoy them. I don't have to agree with him. I worked for Oliver Stone on one of his documentaries. And I asked my wife before I went to do the job, I said, look, this is the guy that made a documentary about Chavez. I don't have to take the job. She goes, no, go work. I can live with it. It's not a big deal. He's, you know, I don't agree with what he did, but I don't want you to not work. And, and he's a skilled director. Go have fun. There are maybe not people per se, but there are definitely uh, subjects that get broached in scripts that I won't touch. Like if something's yeah. exogenous just for the sake of being misogynist, I don't really want my name on that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, for instance, um, yeah, things that are extremely right wing, extremely right wing religious, where they they're hurting LGBT people, right? You uh, people, and and also, I just think. We should be kind to each other. <laughs> yeah. We should be um, fair to each other. And if yeah. Joe is purporting us not being that way, it's not really good for me to be part of it. But one time, we're going to circle back to voice acting here for a second. Sure. I walk, I walk, you know, you do a video game and you don't know what you're getting. Sometimes. Yeah. A lot of times that, yeah, you just get 50 lines to a page and you have zero context. Well, this, this gets into a very um, sensitive area, but I'll talk about it anyway. Sure. So I walk, I walk in. And my part is a Southern white man who hunts down black people and uses the N-word. Really? In the video. And I'm like, they didn't want to talk to me about this in advance. <laughs> standing here having to decide whether or not to do it. And this is how I decided whether or not to do it. I don't know if, if people will agree with this or not. Uh -huh. I don't know if people of color will agree with this or not, but I'm, I'd be interested here. Yeah. Um, I decided I'm going to look up for my for my pages here, for my script. Uh, and if the producers are people of color, I will stay. If the producers are white, I want no part of this. Uh, and they were all people of color. So I said, well, if that's the way they want to portray the character and that's what they want in this video game, then I will I will stay here and tell the story. Yeah. Um, and I stood, and I don't, I have a feeling they cut it or I would have heard about this. But I sat in that waiting room afterwards. I couldn't even move for about a half an hour. I felt like I needed a shower. Yeah, it's a look. Sometimes you take a character home with you, whether you like it or not. And uh, especially if you're giving an authentic performance, you've got to be able to, as they say, don't judge your character. Your character's not judging themselves. They fully believe in what they're doing. I play a lot of villains. They don't know they're evil. Yeah, it's, they think what they're yeah, doing is the right thing. And Gorilla Drott at first, he didn't know he was a gorilla. Yeah. And <laughs> this... This, yeah, just trying, just another gorilla trying to get through the day, you know, just, just trying to just, you know, just squirrel trying to get a nut, you know, but that raises an interesting point because I don't like what I'm seeing these days where a lot of people want to quote unquote, cancel voice actors for doing something years ago that they don't have proper context for. A lot of times, look, both of us have been given jobs that we did years ago that were not that did not look exactly like us. I had no idea who else was reading for it. I had no idea who was casting it. I didn't know the context. I was there trying to work. I assumed everybody read for it and I just happened to give the performance they liked. And I think people are too quick to want to condemn something just out of hand without even considering the context. So what you were doing is you're playing a character that obviously is a despicable character, but you said, you know what? 
let me see if I can get a little perspective on this. Who's making the character? What is the character about? Why is this character here? Is it in service of a greater good? And you made your decision. Based on who I saw on the other side of that glass, they have to have a larger story in mind. This is not going to be gratuitous. Well, I didn't even go that far. I just said, it's up to them how they want to tell their story. Yeah. And it's a story that a white person shouldn't be telling in the way that it was being told. I didn't yeah. think it was appropriate. But if I had seen that at home and had a chance to look it over beforehand, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Yeah. But I was I, there. You know, Facebook. Yeah, exactly. And I, the, like, here's the one thing I believe. This is why I tell my Trump supporters, I still love you. I'm not going to throw a person away because of something they believe to be right. I'd like to talk to them and ask them, okay, how did you arrive at that conclusion? How did you get there? Because I'll be happy to tell you how I got here. And now, you know what? Maybe we should start talking about the things we have in common. And maybe we recognize where our paths diverge. So I understand too, a lot of people wanting to protect people who can't protect themselves. I understand. But I understand sometimes you can go too far and you can end up making someone else a victim who didn't even do anything. I think sometimes mm -hmm. there, are, there are people that, are so ready to strike a blow for justice that sometimes they're they're using a hammer and not a scalpel. So I had, a, I had a voice student once who was doing a demo and she walked out in the middle of the demo and she walked out because I was trying to help her be better at what she was doing. And she really didn't want to hear anybody um, giving her direction. She just wanted to do it the way she wanted to do it. So she, I guess it kind of vaguely implies, but she was offended that I was telling the truth. She didn't really want to face that it was, it was true. Oh my God. Well, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do for that person. It's not really about coaching acting at that point. It's about trying to let them know that, look, um, art, this art we're making is collaborative. And so if you're not willing to work with somebody on your performance, you're, you're in for a bumpy ride. But I brought that up because it's interesting how people see each other based on their yeah. perspective. Yeah. She started tweeting. She started tweeting about me, saying really? I was a horrible person and that I was abusive. Uh, abusive. That was that was kind of upsetting. But luckily, it was only really her and me that knew who she was talking about. She didn't mention any names. Okay. Like I'm saying her name now. Right. Exactly. See, you're being you're being considerate, and this uh, is yeah. You know, I, I I want people to realize that. Um, let's say you're a voice actor trying to build your career. Well, I, I talked to Phil Lamar about this. There are so many young voice actors out there who spend a lot of time getting their social media going. Hey, that's great. That's great. But guess what? Your social media doesn't mean anything if you don't have a body of work that you can sell to a buyer. Now, you might have social media that is so huge, they'll book you because you'll put eyeballs on a project. But trust me, if you're not any good, it's not going to last. So be careful what you're putting out on social media, not just how much time you're putting into it, but like in David's case, if you're going to have a problem with somebody, be careful what you write. It's there forever. I also think um, you can lose your entire career with one tweet. It's been shown many times to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really do hope we reach a point where a person is allowed to make a mistake and realize that, look, Every single thing this person is, is not wrapped up in one tweet. Maybe they, they may not even be wrapped up in a month of tweets. A person can go through very challenging times in their life and they can be a different person for a while. They can be stressed out. They can be angry. They can be, 
they can be mentally unwell. And a lot of times they end up expressing it through social media. I hope we learn how to be a bit more forgiving, you know? Yeah, I wish that people had been more forgiving to Al Franken because I thought he was a great politician. You know what? I do too because I, I, I find myself rooting for Democrats because of what's going on. And I thought, you know what? Democrats, you fucked that one up royally. Franken was was going to be a really valuable asset in the Senate. And um, he did not deserve to... Uh, he did not deserve that treatment. That's just, I, and I don't care who disagrees with it. That guy was not, whatever it was he did was not equal to what was served up to him at all, in my he opinion. Survived it. If, he had, if he had just hung out there for another few weeks, he probably would have survived it. I think he might have. I think the governor of Virginia uh, survived something that was pretty rough. I mean, my God, they had a picture of him in blackface. And guess who stood up for him? Black voters in Virginia. They said, hey, the guy made a mistake. We're not going to get rid of him. Are you crazy? Okay. Yeah, leave room for somebody who is really against what we're about to come in. So, yeah, be careful. There's a great line, and I, I use it whenever I can. It's in the movie A Man for All Seasons with Paul Schofield. There's a great line um, where uh, this famous barrister in England, and this is in the 16th century, is talking to his future son-in-law, who is a, a lawyer who's a crusader. And he says... You're willing to do anything to get the bad guy. You're willing to do anything to get a criminal. And he says, I would cut down every law in Britain to get the devil himself if I could. And the main character says, and having cut down every law, what would protect you from the ill winds that would blow? So people, be careful when you go nuclear in pursuit of justice. Because what are you going to do when you wipe out every tree? What's going to protect you from the ill winds that blow? Have compassion. Be understanding. Some people really do need a nuanced take on things. And I hope we get that more. It took me not very long to have a nuanced take on Trump because he lays it all out. There is no nuance with him. He's very mm -hmm. obvious. But I try to have a nuanced take on the people that support him. Yeah, I, I kind of get a sense of... Um the psychological issues that come into play when you have a media outlet that is actually trying to control people. Yeah. And I think that's really a lot of what we're seeing. Yeah. <laughs> I, and really Fox, Fox news didn't exist. He wouldn't either. Yeah. I, I, to be fair, as somebody with a journalism degree, I see the niche that is filled with each different outlet. CNN is much closer to the middle, but they do have more of a left slant. MSNBC is further down the uh, trough as far mm -hmm. as that goes. And then further along the other side of the trough, and I, and I don't mean this in any porcine way, I'm not describing animal characteristics, I'm describing a spectrum. But on that spectrum, you have different points that are served by these outlets. Why? Because it's a purely business decision. The shows you are watching that talk about politics are there for purely commercial decisions. But the people that own them decided we're gonna fill this niche. Now, if you want something that is largely unfiltered, um, try BBC America, try NPR. They're pretty dry. They're pretty dry. They'll give you the they'll give you the real skinny. But if you start going to cable news, you're you're getting a filter. You're getting a filter. You should be aware. News used to be very dry years ago. It used to be. It used to be what they called the lost leader. Um, a news organization for a network was not something that needed to make money. It was seen almost as a public utility. Mm -hmm. that is gone. 
So uh, the citizen has to actually take some responsibility. Citizens need to learn how to read news. They need to learn to see the angle that it's coming from, and they need to learn to see the ways that algorithms pull them into an echo chamber. And you need to learn how to get out of an echo chamber so you can it's, tell what reality is. It's really a course they need to teach in high school. Yes, we need more civics. We need more. Um, we need to teach people about finance a little bit better so they can learn how to manage their money because we are moving quickly into a gig economy. Um, we are. Uh, my sister-in-law has worked for corporations her whole adult life. It used to be they'd hire her for longer stretches and she'd get more benefits. Now it's all subcontractor. You don't get. You don't get the same benefits. You don't get anything. They will cover almost nothing for you. She's got to learn how to market herself. She's got to learn how to curate her social media. She's got to learn how to take care of her money because her retirement's not going to be taken care of. It's got to be all her. So, yeah, I, I think people forget. I mean, like in my case, we're raising two children, but we're raising citizens. I want two kids that are happy, well-adjusted kids, but I also want them to be a net positive for society. So it isn't just about them. It's about the people around them that they're going to impact. That's great. Yeah, I try. Look at look at where we went. We spent this like 45-minute chunk of talking about, you know, your boilerplate voiceover stuff. And then somewhere, boom, hard left turn. I love it. Uh, it's not that kind of show. You you let things just free flow. And, and, yeah. and politics is on everybody's mind this week. It is, and it should be. I mean, and by the time this comes out, this will be in a couple of weeks or so, I, I, I think... It's never too late. It's never too early to discuss what is going on either nationally or even in your locality. Like, look, if you don't have an opinion on the president, first of all, I don't know how the hell you can not have an opinion. But uh, John Fugelsang, who I like a lot, says this a lot. He says, you know what? Act locally. You need to know who's on your city council. You need to know who your mayor is, who your state senators are. You need to know these things because what those guys do affects your life way more than what happens in D.C. You'd be surprised. So mm -hmm. if you've got a problem, a lot of times you can take it up with a person that lives about two or three miles away from you and get results. So. Oh, yeah. Well, Adam Schiff is my congressperson. He's he's helped a lot with little things. Shifty around. Adam Schiff. David, yeah. I want to tell you about <laughs> Shifty Adam Schiff. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Joe. Adam, <laughs> Shifty Adam. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, look. This Maybe is Joe. yeah. This is this is what we do here on the on the old streamcast. It's grip it and rip it. We go wherever you want to go. I don't want people to think that um, I'm afraid to talk about certain things. It's just sometimes I feel like it. Sometimes I don't. You know. And, well, and the, yeah, I we're both obviously the po the point in our lives where we're not really worried about any blowback. We're just going to say what we yeah, want. Yeah, I mean, if somebody wants to unfollow me over this, I don't mind. I understand. Believe me. You're doing me a favor. One of these days, I'm going to say fuck it all for social media anyway and say, I'm done. Fine. If you don't want me on, everybody can cancel me. I'm off. Okay. Whatever. They, they, they expect us to use social media to promote the programs that we're in and all that. And I do. Um, yeah, I do too. At the end of the day, I think I'm at an age where I'm almost grandfathered because I'll never have enough followers to really be significant. Yeah. You know, I'm I not mean, a young guy. It's, you know, getting hundreds of thousands of followers. No, I'm I'm a I'm a micro influencer at best, and I always will be, and that's fine. I don't mind that. I, I I'm fine with it because believe me, the more you have, the more you stand to lose. Because like you say in social media, that's how fast they can take it from you. That's how fast you can get deplatformed. 
I, I really hope people begin to understand that the marketplace of ideas is going to have flavors that you may not like, but that doesn't mean you need to get them all taken down. You don't make the guy on the ice cream truck throw out every flavor you don't want. Save those for the other kids. All right? Yeah, it's okay. Trump, Trump is also teaching people many bad lessons, but one bad lesson is that you, uh, you can't challenge each other. Yeah. You don't like somebody's opinion. His way is, you know, my way or the highway. Right. But it shouldn't. It should actually be that you're open to someone being different, and if they challenge you, you have a debate with them. A real exactly. Debate. Yeah, you and know your point of view, and you try to, you know, win, but you don't win by just excluding and just saying whatever they're saying is not worth listening to. Right. This is another thing that is objectively true about him. He has said this repeatedly. He tells you to not believe anything about him that is negative. And, and trust me, there is no one that can argue this point. It is objectively true because he constantly says it. Everything that is unflattering about him is fake news. Now, this is a classic authoritarian play. And you should run screaming from the person that says it. If you personally knew someone that said to ignore every negative thing that is said or written about them, and there are copious amounts of things said and written about them, you should be extremely skeptical of that person. Not they don't least, hear. yeah, allow them they, the keys to the kingdom. They don't hear or see the, the copious things that are written against them. They're only seeing one Also outlet. true. Yeah, also true. I, I hope there will be some nexus of reality that we can all meet at. And because I want people to know if you disagree with me, that's fine. I don't mind that. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Let's talk about it. Tell me why. Start giving me the reasons why, and we can start to have a dialogue about it. But if your answer to all those problems you have is to elect somebody that ticks all those boxes I talked about before, you're getting a lot more than you think you're getting. You're getting a, It's like having a roach problem and getting a wolverine as a pet to take care of the roaches. This is, uh, we go from voice acting to civics to, to Lord knows what. We cover it all here. Social issues. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, tune in next week. We'll tell you how to, uh, uh, I don't know, put a lumen siding up on your house. <laughs> and we'll, we'll if I came back, we might debate some um, anchovies and pineapple on pizza. Uh, anchovies, yes. Pineapple, what the fuck? I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why, why would you do that? Yeah, you're good with both? Blasphemer! You should be canceled, <laughs> David Sobolov. You should have everything taken away from you because you're worse than Hitler. Okay? I'll be pineapple. There I said it. Okay, yeah. Right. So, hey, here's what Dave and I want to leave you with. We're not angry at you. Hopefully, you're yeah. not angry at us, but if you are, hey, that's cool. You do you. Unfollow. It's okay. We can live with it. You know? We don't want you to lose your chance to express yourself. That's my feeling. I want every well, if anyone is seeing this before the election, vote. However you feel about things, vote. Yeah, it's vote. Very yeah, absolutely. If you want to vote for Trump and if you think that is how you express yourself as an American, do it. I'll drive you to the, the polling place. We live in California, so I'm not worried about winning California. But mm-hmm. hey, here's the lesson. My grandfather, lifelong Democrat, in 1988, drove me to the poll drove me to the polling place on election day. He voted for Dukakis. I voted for Bush. And I said, hey, Grandpa John, you're, you're driving me there. You know I'm not going to vote for the guy you want. He says, but this is, this is a democracy. And that's what you do. He negated 
his vote, but he did it out of a sense of civic duty. And mm. God, I loved him for so many reasons. And that was one of them. And um, why, I, I, I don't think it's asking too much to be a little bit more like grandpa. You know, grandpa wasn't perfect, but hey, if he did that, there, you know, there's something we could all learn from. We need to let everyone vote, no matter how they're going to vote. Yeah. Let everyone vote. We, you know what? We don't know what country we have until we let all the people who are allowed to vote, vote. If you really want to know what you're looking at, do it. It's like going to the doctor, get your blood work done. I know you may be scared of the results, but get a complete picture. Then you know what to do. Then you know what you're working with. There we go. Right. We have discussed the body politic and the body. That's how we button it. So, all right. David Sobolov, I can't believe where this all went. Look at this. Well, here we go. Now we know a little bit more about each other than we did before. Absolutely. And so does everyone watching this. So, uh, folks, find David Sobolov. Once again, tell everybody where they can find you. You can find me at uh, my uh, website is Sobolov.com. Uh, my social media is at Volobos. My last name backwards. I don't know how you find me on Facebook, but it's by my name. Okay. All and right. I, it's weird. Facebook, I have a verified and an unverified, and they won't combine them. I'm on both. They're both me. Don't get me started on Facebook. That's another two hours right there. So we just won't go down that rabbit hole.